Good morning, good evening, and good night, my terrible listeners. You're tuned in to Terrible Sex with the Sea. I'm producer Dan, and each week I have the honor of bringing you registered nurse, aspiring sex educator, polyamory enthusiast, and true woman of the people, Nassim. She tells us stories, answers our questions, and helps us feel more comfortable around the world's infinite variety of sexuality. Send questions, comments, and especially your voice memos to Nassim. This show's best when you get involved. Contact info is on her website at terriblesexwithnaseem.com. Hey, Nassim. Hello, Dan. How are you? I'm good. It's been a whirlwind the last couple of days. Um, Tell us all about it. I am sad to report that I will be leaving Chicago in two weeks' time. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, maybe three weeks. It's coming up. Uh, by the end of the month, I'll be I'll be gone. Well, man. Yeah, my contract here has ended, and it's on to the next. And I thought I was going one place. I signed the contract and everything, and then my recruiter called me this morning and said, "Sorry, nope. They gave your job away even after you signed your contract." And I was like, "Cool, cool, 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 cool." Um. But I have another one lined up, and now it's just a matter of getting my ducks in a row and getting housing and all of that stuff. Oh, the life of a transient travel nurse. Man, so this city's going to get a lot smaller without you, Nassim. Goddamn right it is. <laughs> so where are you headed next? Um, I'm headed to a little town called St. Joseph, Michigan. Back to pure Michigan. I'm going back to pure Michigan, at least for this next contract. All right. Um, I wanted to get closer to home, make it easier to see my husband. Like, I've really only seen Jar like five or six times in the last 10 months. Yeah. From what I understand, you like that guy. Yeah, you know, I I kind of do, and I want to make sure I still like him <laughs> after all of this. So being closer would definitely be beneficial for both of us, I think. And so that's really exciting and good news, but it is bittersweet. I have developed a bit of a routine and a bit of a life here in good old Chicagoland. As you and our listeners probably know, I have a partner here right? that I have been begrudgingly trying to de-escalate our relationship and it's not going real well. <laughs> I've heard that over and over and yet here you are. Here I am still like... <sighs> escalated still escalated and stupid in love with the guy so what am i supposed to do but that's polyamory for you folks i mean not always people make it work over distance and time and things but i don't think that that's in our future we'll find out we'll see i just know i'm gonna be crying a lot at the end of august (laughs) so but it's like i said it's it's mixed because i'm really excited to go back home or at least closer to home and see my lovely husband who I love and adore but I'm also really sad to be leaving my guy here and kind of what we've sort of built over the last 10 months so it's it's tough it's good but it's tough yeah well I can certainly empathize that sounds uh like a situation that might not be easy it's not easy it's not for everyone but god damn it it's the life I've chosen (laughs) (laughs) 
But, you know, it's not the end of a relationship. That's the thing to I have to keep in mind. Like, And my husband keeps telling me this, too. Jar is always like, it's not like you're never going to see him again. I mean, I'm right. coming back to Chicago for a couple concerts in the fall. We're going to maintain a really strong friendship. He's turned into one of my closest friends. Like, it's not the end of anything. It's just a change. And sometimes yeah. change can be hard. But change can also be good. So we'll see what happens. Things will unfold. We'll see. We'll see. Right. Well, I look forward to all the updates right here every week. You know you'll get them, Dan. I know it. <laughs> Not a doubt in my mind. And how are you doing? Man, I'm pretty good. Uh, we've, had a, uh, we've had a busy week around my house. Listen, let me tell you about the cutest damn thing. I went to a, a company party yesterday for the first time in a long time. Oh, yeah. Uh, I was around a bunch of people. I heard about this company party. Yeah, there was some some swag at this company party, and one of the many swag pieces that I picked up was just a koozie. They had a bunch of foam koozies of different colors, and I grabbed a yellow one because my kid loves yellow. And I mm. said, I'm bringing this home to my kid. It's yellow. She'll think it's great, and she'll love it. And I gave it to her. She she will not go anywhere without a water bottle with her yellow koozie on it. Oh. It is a real big deal. She would not go to sleep tonight without her yellow koozie. I had to go out to the living room to get the yellow koozie for her. It's really, really cute. That's very cute. So you've created a monster. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. What started off as a sweet thing to do for your kid is now your torture. Right. Now just another pain in the ass that I have to go find under the couch somewhere. Ugh, kids, man. Good for you, Dan. Yeah, so it's always real cute when she gets a thing and she, you know, it clearly means a lot to her for a very short period of time before it gets lost under the couch. Well, I mean, she's kind of like a puppy (laughs) in that way. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Very much so. Major puppy energy. She's a cute kid. I haven't met her in person, but... Have you not? I have not. I've only seen her over the interwebs and I think on the phone once. So Fair enough. Well, maybe before August ends, we can get you two together. Oh, good. That'd be fun. And you could answer all her questions she has about polyamory. I'm sure she has many. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Well, now that the intros and the housekeeping and the how are you doings are out of the way. Yeah, those are done. Thank God. I know. Who wants to hear that? Um, All the boring shit. I am going to talk just a little bit today about something that, you know, a podcast about sex should probably have mentioned pretty early on, but we're only like 19 episodes in. It's still fairly early. Yeah, this podcast is terrible anyway. It's a terrible podcast. Everyone should listen to it. (laughs) We're going to talk about consent. We talk about consent all the time. Oh, but do we, though? (laughs) Uh, Well, apparently not. Let's go. (laughs) Because there's different types of consent, particularly in the kink and BDSM community. And I know I talk about BDSM and kink a lot, but I think it's definitely worth noting and i think there's a lot of carryover in more vanilla or more mainstream sexual practices and just relationship practices in general um so i i kind of just want to touch very briefly this isn't going to be like some sort of dissertation by any means but just a quick little chat about consent and the different types of consent um particularly in this fucked up community that i engage in so uh enthusiastically (laughs) (laughs) okay all right 
So back in the 80s, when BDSM and kink were like kind of having more of a resurgence, particularly in like the gay and like leather daddy and more mask communities. Sure. There was this idea of really wanting to establish consent and BDSM and these particular practices in a way that would not be misconstrued as abuse. So it was this idea of, and it was called, it's still called SSC, which means safe, sane, and consensual. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. (laughs) So it's this idea that the actions and the behaviors that we engage in are safe for all parties and that it's amongst sane individuals and that we as parties engage consensually. Sounds like a great idea, right? Sure. Sure. I hear a butt coming on. So it it is a great idea because it was attempting to differentiate BDSM from abuse. But it was also like this minimum standard of ethical play. And a lot of people felt like, one, this wasn't good enough. And two, there was this danger that started to unfold with the idea of safe, sane, and consensual. Really? Yeah, because who is determining what is safe? And how are we determining what is safe? How are we determining what is sane behavior? Or who is sane, right? And what does that mean? And is that an ableist terminology? Like, there's all these reasons for why safe, sane, consensual is not ideal, especially because people were starting to misconstrue safe with being risk-free. And as we know, there's always some level of risk when we engage in certain practices, right? And so if we're not clear on what is safe, because what you might consider safe, I may not consider safe, right? Yes. So then there's a breakdown there. So how do we determine safety? How do we determine what is risk versus risk-free? And people started to kind of get confused, or not confused, but kind of abuse this idea of safe being the same thing as risk-free. And so the idea of consent became diluted, and it actually promoted more possibility for abusive practices and abusive behaviors. Which I know seems like a stretch, but it was becoming kind of the thought. It was getting in the wrong hands, and people were using it in the way that it was not intended to be used. Like, oh yeah, this is safe, sane, and consensual. You can totally come to my dungeon, and I'll do all these things to you, and it's fine, because it's safe. Totally safe. Totally safe. Trust me, totally safe. Totally safe. So then, there was... Some changes in BDSM world where people started adopting this idea called rack, which is far more and widely accepted now in the BDSM community. And rack stands for risk aware consensual kink. Risk aware consensual kink. Yeah, and it was R A C K. R A C K. And it's sort of a contrast to SSC. Because it's not just about safety, it's also about information. You cannot truly make a decision unless you are informed. So with risk-aware consensual kink, all parties are well-informed and understand the risks and consequences of what they are going to engage in. Mm -hmm. Whether it's sexual practice, whether it's impact play, whether it's bondage, any of those things. Because 
anything, you know, people think of rope play as being particularly safe. Rope play can, in fact, be very dangerous. You can have nerve damage. You can have rope burns. There's all sorts of things that can go wrong in something as simple as being tied up, you know, if you don't know the risks, right? Sure. And you don't know how to do it because there is a correct way and an incorrect way of, of doing anything. So rack is probably the most commonly accepted form of consent within the BDSM and the kink community mm-hmm. because it's all about informed consent and making your decisions based off of your understanding of the risks involved in whatever you're about to do. And then in terms of the idea of being sane, it kind of shifted from that terminology of sane to being of sound mind. So being able to advocate for oneself. That makes sense. Now there's an offshoot of rack, which is called prick. Ooh, now we're talking. <laughs> this is personal responsibility informed consensual kink. Very similar to rack. The key difference is that personal responsibility. Because now you as a player or as a scene participant are responsible for your own actions and your own consent of a of a given situation or scene. So at any time, you have the ability to basically pull out of whatever is happening. Like you have to know yourself well enough to participate in an activity and to know what your limits are, what you are willing to engage in, what you're not willing to engage in, and being able to speak up about whatever is happening in the moment. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, so it's a personal understanding of your own actions and responsibility of your own consent. Because, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, giving consent, Mm -hmm. but you're not just giving consent to somebody else. Like, I believe that it's not just about giving consent to another person to to allow them to do something. It's also giving consent to yourself, allowing yourself to go through an experience. And I think that's where prick kind of differentiates itself from rack a little bit. Because it's about that personal responsibility. Yeah. yeah I like the prick. You like the prick. Yeah. No, I like, I, li- I like giving yourself permission to take agency in that situation. And not only permission, but calling it responsibility. Because it is your responsibility to take care of yourself. Exactly. And if you find yourself with a partner in a situation that you don't feel is achieving that, then it's your responsibility to get out. And you're empowered to get out. Exactly. And that's why I do like prick because it is an empowering form of consent. I I think a lot of times when I think about consent, like I was saying before, it's about giving something up. But for me, prick feels like it's something that I take on my own. It's it's my own self-agency. And I think that's really important. And I think that's really cool. Conversely, now we're going in the completely opposite direction. Opposite direction. Back it up. CNC, consensual non-consent. This one's a doozy. Yeah. This one's a doozy for a lot of people. I've heard of this one. You have heard of this one. What do you know? They had a music factory. (laughs) Aside. (laughs) God damn it. (laughs) Uh, Aside from the music factory, what do you know about CNC or consensual non-consent? Anything? It's consensual non-consent. It's the the framework and the boundaries in which you set up scenarios where you consent to being in a situation with a partner where they're pretending to not have consent. 
basically it's how two adults can play out things like rape fantasies and things like that if i understand that correct i mean that's a pretty basic understanding of basic is how i understand most things <laughs> that's pretty, a pretty basic that's a pretty basic understanding of cnc i think that's like what most people think of with cnc um but it doesn't necessarily have to go as far as like a rapes fantasy sure there's other terms for cnc people call it meta consent or blanket consent like you could be in a situation with someone and say like okay while i'm here tonight you can do whatever you want to me right and and so that's like a blanket consent sometimes i have blanket consent with partners for a particular night and i say okay you can do whatever you want up until i say no that's a form of blanket consent some people would argue that because I have the option of saying no, it doesn't like really count as blanket consent. I argue that it does because where there's no negotiation prior to the activity. Right. Because again, that goes back to the idea of informed consent. If I'm not informed about what's going to happen, how can I truly consent to it unless it's a blanket consent? That's how I think about it in my head. And just like you did with your partner, anytime that you're getting into a CNC type situation, make sure you've got some kind of safe word, some kind of out. Well, sure. Um, because, I mean, that's where CNC can border on the lines of dangerous, right? If you're doing... For sure. Because there are rapes fantasies, there's kidnapping fantasies, there's all sorts of things that can happen. So that's why there's like so much trust that has to be within these parties. These are like, this is like an extreme level of play. Right. Right. This isn't this isn't first date material. Absolutely not. I mean, it takes people years sometimes to get to this level of play. Um, it takes a lot of trust. And like I certainly I mean, I'm sure people do. But best practice, this is not something that like you go to a munch and be like, hey, I want to practice CNC and meet somebody who just do it with who you just meet on FetLife or something. I wouldn't do that. I'm sure there are people who do and they have a fine time, but that just seems like too risky of a behavior for me. Do what you want. Just be smart about it. I, I think that it can be a very like freeing thing for people to not have to like make decisions. But also it does take a lot of trust. It does take a lot of negotiation. One of the things about consent in general, especially in the BDSM and the kink world, is having information. A lot of times people will have contracts. So there can be like short-term contracts or a temporary contract that could last, maybe it's just an hour or an evening. Maybe it lasts like a whole weekend of, okay, these are the things that we are going to do. These are the behaviors that we're going to have. Yes, you can spank me. Yes, you can tie me up, but no choking. Things like that. You can, you can use like a wooden paddle, but don't use a whip. Like things like that. You have everything written out. There's an understanding of everybody knows their responsibilities and everybody knows their expectations. And if you choose to use a safe word, not everybody does. If you choose to use a safe word, that is all outlined. If you're going to use a stoplight system. Ooh. Are you familiar with the stoplight system? Tell me. Maybe not. I mean, it's pretty straightforward. The idea, instead of having like an actual like safe word, like banana or whatever. Is that your safe word? I don't. No. Um, <laughs> and even if it was, I wouldn't tell you. Um, so uh, a stop. It's banana, isn't it? Actually, I prefer the stoplight system. I don't have a state for it. Okay. okay. Um, the stoplight system 
it's like a constant check-in between partners. So Mm -hmm. if something is happening and one partner says to the other, hey, green light, the other partner can say, yes, green. That means go, keep going. A yellow light means, yeah, this is good, but like, maybe it won't be like, keep your eye out, pay attention sort of a thing. Mm -hmm. And then red light is no stop. This is no longer fun. And it's a way for people to continually check in with each other. Yeah, without thinking too hard. Without thinking too hard about it. Or if, let's say I'm in the middle of something and what was a green light for me is suddenly not so fun, I can be like, red light, red light, red light, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that's a much more um, nuanced and clearer form of communication versus just a a straight up safe word. Um, But again, it depends on the coupling or the participants in the scene right for what they want to do i can't dictate how people do their do their consent this is just an option what is interesting though particularly about cnc is that even though if you have like a signed contract between parties it is not legally binding in many places most places interesting yeah there have actually been court cases um both in the u.s and the uk about participants who were arrested because even though there was a contract for engagement, like in the UK, there was this, um, it's called the Spanner case that happened in England. And there was this BDSM party. Everybody at the party got arrested because there were quote unquote injuries amongst the participants at this party. Mm -hmm. And at the time, it was unlawful to consent to something that caused anything above a minor injury. So everybody at this party got arrested. There was a case in the U.S. where there was a trial because some men, there were parties that were being treated like dogs, like they were doing puppy play or dog play. And Mm -hmm. the owners, the dog owners in this case, were arrested for abuse of their their submissive. Very interesting. Even if there's contracts involved, even if it is consensual, depending on where you are, the law may not be on your side. So it's one of the reasons why people in the kink community can feel very alienated from mainstream society. It's also one of the reasons why I think it's so important to talk about it, to sort of get rid of that stigma. So I think consent is super interesting because it's not just yes or no. There's so many different tiers to it. And I'm on a discord with a few other kinksters and kink educators. And we had a conversation a few months ago about enthusiastic versus informed consent. And it's interesting because up until that time, I used to think, oh, well, you have to enthusiastically consent to something. You have to really want to do something in order to consent to something. And after this conversation, I don't necessarily believe that anymore. I think as long as you are well informed, even if you're not 100% jazzed to try something or do something, I still think you can consent to it, even if you're not 100% enthusiastic. Because sometimes being enthusiastic is not safe. You can be really into, I don't know, breath play. Okay, where someone's constricting your airflow. You can like be, oh, yes, I really want to do breath play. I really want to be choked. And you can be really excited, enthusiastic about it, but that's going to block your ability to be informed. It's going to give you a bias and not allow you to make a rational, risk aware judgment 
on that choice, on that consent. So I believe that information and being informed is far more important than being enthusiastic, especially if it's something that like I haven't experienced before. I don't know what I'm going to like necessarily until I learn about it and I try it. You know, I didn't know I was into like not water sports with like urine, but like essentially, (laughs) essentially waterboarding. Um, (laughs) I didn't know that was something I was going to be kind of into. It's like a type of breath play until I knew enough and I trusted my partner enough to do it. And then I, I loved it. Was I nervous about it? A hundred percent. Was I a little hesitant? A hundred percent. But because I trusted my partner and because I had the information, I was able to make an informed decision on it and had a great time. I think that makes a lot of sense. So I want I want to make sure that the things that we're saying right now don't confuse people, especially people that you know are getting close to their first relationship. Oh, a hundred percent. Absolutely. We are talking about informed consent in very specific situations with partners that are trusted. That's what we were talking about at this moment. Yes. And this is not something for like, we're not talking about basic consent within like your first like sexual experience. This is something within a very specific niche audience. Right. And it takes a lot of practice to get to this level. Absolutely. And it takes like consenting adults. I'm not typically one to like, say that minors should not be engaging in sexual practices with themselves. But in this regard, I think you have to have a certain level of maturity and life experience to practice kink. And some people are going to disagree with me, and that's okay. Write in, tell me your thoughts, and we can have discourse about it. But I do think that you make a very excellent point, Dan, that this is like next level kind of sexual practice. This is like several next levels. Yeah, absolutely. This takes practice. This takes time. This takes a lot of experience. Especially if we're talking able to do. Absolutely. Especially if we're talking about non-consent. If you're t- right. if you're talking about like your basic I hate to say basic, right. but like intro to kink stuff, like rack, I think is a great place to start. SSC mm-hmm. you could argue is a great place to start because it is Safe and consensual is like the most basic form of ethical practice. And I think that's a great place for anybody when they're starting their sexual journey. But as you get into more intense engagement in kink, when things get to become a little bit more physical, when you start using implements and like you're tying people up or any of these things, that's when risk becomes real. Yeah. And when you are 14, 15, 16, and you're just starting to make out and have your, your, your first sexual experiences, you really need to be looking for an enthusiastic partner at that time. Enthusiasm at that time, I think, is super important. I think enthusiasm and being informed go hand in hand. Yes. Uh, I couldn't agree more. Yes, absolutely. Um, cool. I don't want to be misconstrued here, Dan. I don't want to be taken the wrong way. I'm not saying coercion is okay. Right. In no way am I trying to imply that people should allow themselves to be coerced into anything they truly do not want to do. Yeah. I'm trying to put myself in the head of a 14-year-old male more than more often who, when he's trying to decide if it's time to try to kiss a girl more or to take the next step with this girl, he's looking for enthusiastic consent from his partner. Sure. Like, that's what you need to see when you're 14 and 15 and 16. and. That's 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 the only point that I'm really trying to 
to hit home is that we're talking about two different levels of experience. And I want to make sure that people understand that. And that's an excellent point. And one that should be pointed out. Absolutely. Well, I'm glad I pointed it out. <laughs> Good job, Dan. Good job. Producer Dan, everybody. Give him a round of applause. <laughs> but that's that's basically my intro to consent lesson. <laughs> I liked it. I thought it was a good one. Yeah. Um, I thought it was really important to talk about. We haven't really gone into the weeds with it before. No, we haven't hashed it out like that. That's for sure. No. And I think, you know, and you'll hear if you become more involved in the kink community, you will hear these terms rack, prick. And it's important to know what they mean and where they come from and which one you identify with more. So. Go on and play safe. That's all I got. <laughs> I, think, I think it was great. Lovely. Well, should we take it to the to the mailbag? Yeah, let's shift gears and go to the mail. Hey, I listened to some of the podcast. I thought it was actually terrible. Thought you should know. Thanks. Cool. I really appreciate the feedback and i think it's quite clear that there's no false advertising happening here <laughs> i'm glad we're in total agreement so thanks for listening thanks. appreciate the downloads thanks for the engagement friend hey nasim what do you find sexy i'm a 23 year old guy and i have typical guy brain and i don't know how to be sexy for my wife i want to surprise her and change and learn to be sexy what should i do Sorry, I'm stuck on the fact that you're 23 and married. <laughs> <laughs> That's not fucking sexy. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm just old. Here's the thing. I can't tell you how to be sexy for your wife, right? Because I don't know what your wife finds sexy. But generally speaking, generally speaking, and this isn't going to be true for everybody, but I think by and large, women like a man who's generally clean <laughs> um women love a man in a suit for whatever reason a guy in like a well-fit suit is just like so good and doing something for her right if she can be made to feel special that you're paying attention to her needs not necessarily in the bedroom but needs around the house or little things that she's said in the past that you've paid attention to maybe one day she said something about really loving a particular piece of art or a musician or something you can maybe play that music around the house while you're making her dinner or something like something that shows that you are paying attention to her whether or not it's in the bedroom and that will definitely get her in a particular mood that you will benefit from. <laughs> so um, that's my piece of advice is pay attention to her, her needs, things that she says, things that she wants. Listen for things that she doesn't say, if that makes any sense. Read between the lines. Because the least sexy thing that you can do is have her have to tell you everything she wants. She wants you to pay attention. That's true. Now, listen, as a fellow who's been married more than 15 years, less than 20, I've blown it lots of times. And so if you want to be sexy for your wife, first, the best thing you can do is pay attention to the things that she does for you to tell you that she loves you. 
right? If she's the kind of lady that like puts the house together so that when you come home from work and your house looks pretty nice because she did a bunch of work at it, like she's doing that for you. So once in a while, empty the dishwasher so she doesn't have to. Once in a while, vacuum a rug. (laughs) I know I'm so good at not seeing those things. So it's really hard to pay attention and see those things. But man, if I want to turn on my wife, like I make the bed and put the kids clothes away and take some of the stuff off of her plate that she's so good at doing that I usually don't see. That's the shit that she likes. And it sounds very superficial, right? You're like, how could that possibly translate into sexiness? Because I was going to say that I can't explain it, but I can't explain it. It's because if she doesn't have to take care of you, she's not going to look at you as a caregiver, that you're like a child or something she has to maintain and look after. If she can look at you as an equal partner, because you're taking care of stuff around the house or taking care of business, you know, she no longer sees you as an object she has to take care of, but as a sexual being, which is where your relationship probably started before you were married, before she was taking care of you. Not to say that like she is 100% doing those things, but like there's a good chance she is. So that's how it translates. I know it doesn't seem like it on the surface, that, oh, how does me emptying the dishwasher equate to sexy time? It does. It, it does. Try it. Try it. You'll see. Yeah. And, you know, it's kind of hot when somebody's looking out for you. hundred percent. Taking care of you a little bit. That's so. why there's so many, like, caregiver relationships out there. Like, you know, daddy, dom, little girl, DDLG relationships. Because girls want to be taken care of, right? So, there you go. There you go. Start with that. Penisine. Why does my penis hurt when I masturbate more than three times? Like in a row or in a day? Uh, You're probably like rubbing it raw, bud. Yeah, dude. We're talking about friction. It's a friction thing. And like, are you talking, if it's an internal issue, like if it's hurting from like inside, I mean, see a urologist, but I think you just might be jerking off too much too quickly. Use some lube bro and take a break yeah go for a walk pain is seen i have a female friend who has shown a new interest in adult toys she's given me the okay to shop for her because she's inexperienced at it my question is are there any upstanding places online to shop besides the adam and eve site i have read some reviews and find their toys can be like a lottery when it comes to getting one that stays working i need some help yeah adam and eve is kind of uh kind of a catch-all just like a distributor doc johnson is a good one love honey is a good one lilo that's l-e-l-o excellent brand there's also eden fantasies which is kind of like adam and eve but they have like a review system and everything so they're maybe a little bit better but you can also find junk on their website too but i would recommend love honey lilo Doc Johnson, especially because those are brands, not just distributor website. I would avoid Amazon. I bought a sex toy off of Amazon like a year ago and it was garbage and I don't recommend it. I kind of don't recommend buying anything off of Amazon anymore. I know. Sorry, Jeff Bezos. But like poor old Jeff. Poor old Jeff. Jeff, sorry. Sorry if you're listening to our show on Amazon Music. We're never going to get monetized. Um, so. We're about to get kicked off of Amazon, so please 
If you're listening on Amazon, you can download our podcast from any of the other great players that haven't kicked us off yet. Oh, man. So uh, I just wouldn't recommend Amazon only because it's like the Wild West out there these days. You don't know what you're getting anymore. No, you don't. So many third-party vendors. Avoid anything that has a third-party vendor. There is a sex toy that I am currently coveting right now. I have wanted it for so long the magic wand Ooh. yeah formerly owned by hitachi but hitachi sold it so now it's just the magic wand i have one already but i've like worn that thing out <laughs> and it's also like the kind that plugs into the wall and that's just inconvenient for me but they have a rechargeable one they have one that you can plug into the wall but it charges so then you can also go like cordless yeah and i really want it but i just like can't get myself to pull the trigger on it i don't know why it's like 160 bucks or something and i just like won't do it <laughs> And but it's worth it for a good sex toy you're gonna pay a premium and it's worth it i just can't convince myself to do so <laughs> well it's worth it you're worth it your vibrating body parts are worth it 100 percent. 100 percent. hey nasim my boyfriend hasn't given me head but six times in three years he claims it's because he's a picky eater do i have the right to be mad yes <laughs> yep what does that mean, a picky eater? Is that him trying to be funny? Yeah, that's not funny. He sounds like fuck a that dude. Break up with him. <laughs> yeah, in fact, don't fuck that dude. Stop fucking that dude. You deserve better than that. Ugh. My goodness. Got another question? Otherwise, I'm calling it a night, bro. Yep, that's it. Okay. Call it a night. All right. Woo! I thought that went well. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Nassine wants all her terrible listeners to know that although she is a medical professional, she is not your medical professional. This podcast is not medical advice. If you want medical advice, please seek out your very own healthcare provider. Terrible Sex with Nassine is part of the Terrible Podcast Network.